Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, the big show, the show that has me kind of, I had a little, still a little bit of tomato in my mouth, and I had to, like, finish it off. I thought I was done with it. Welcome to the big show. We just had some tomatoes, some grape tomatoes, sweet, what, sweet 100s? Super sweet 100. Super sweet 100. If you're growing cherry tomatoes, these are the ones to grow, in my opinion. Because they really, I take these, a bowl of these to the office. And if you ever played Final Fantasy, I don't do computer games, but I did like this back in the Nintendo days. If you ever played the original version of Final Fantasy, there was something called a Sahag. It was a monster. And whenever you got into a, a conflict, up there, this little song came on. It would be like, snap. That's what this feels like with the, with your hand the bowl down. It's like, snap. And all the hands just go, and it's empty at the office on break time. So, yeah, they love it when I plant a ridiculous amount of these, which we have a ridiculous, ridiculous amount, amount of these yeah. things this the year. The experiment turned out well. We yeah. overplanted because when you're experimenting, that's what you do if you want to make sure you get some. And we got some. These were some of my seedlings. And I must say, they were, uh, this part of it was an unqualified success. So they're very good. We're going to talk about bounty today in a different way. This, this is podcast we're recording to accompany an article I wrote that you'll be able to read the same day. The podcast always comes out before the article, and that's due to the way we have to do things. We have to have the podcast posted before the article links, in case you're ever wondering why we post the podcast in the morning and the article comes up in the in the afternoon. That's why it happens that way, or the evening. We're on Greenwich Mean Time, so we publish our articles at 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central. Daylight savings time. It changes, of course, with uh, the time change. But, of course, also, Greenwich Mean Time does not. So I wrote an article, and um, it's it's about living misconceptions that people have living off the land. Hunting and fishing, living off the land. Because if you want to harvest quarts full of food day after day, living off the land, you plant yourself some super sweet 100s, you don't expect to go out there and hunt and fish it out. Right. Now, you may be able to go out right now. I would be able to go out right now to the place and have a pretty good chance on any given day of getting a pretty good shot at a deer or a turkey or both or three deer or, you know. I would almost guarantee you if you spent an entire day at the place, you could shoot a deer today. Uh, most days when I've I've given it a walk of at least an hour, I would have gotten more than one shot well, at big game. Even yeah, even at, at night, they're going to the pond, and you know they're going. To yeah, the pond. and I go I walk go on my walks very early in the morning and very late in the evening because that's when most of the wildlife. There's like a there. zillion good hides around the pond, like up on the uh, up on the top edge across mm-hmm. the pond. Not that we built it there on purpose. She lied. <laughs> yeah, but having said that. You're talking about three deer, five deer. That's, in the long run of things, 
not a sustainable food supply. And this is just assuming that nobody else is hunting the critters. Okay. The premise of my article and the premise of our podcast today, I'm just going to lay it out in front of you and then we can talk about the details. I don't think that a lot of people have ever really thought about game. I don't think a lot of people have ever really thought about, quote-unquote, the country. And by that, I don't mean the United States of America. I mean the land out here in the hinterlands. The wilder places. land. The wilder places, yes. This isn't wild here, but it's wilder than uh, Creve Corps or uh, Chevy Chase or... Uh, Bel Air, or you know, Brooklyn. you name it. It's wilder. Any than suburb is wilder than that. So, here, this, this, there's two parts of this. First of all, we go back to the land, and we go back to there's three types of places that you can bug out to, and we've talked about this before. But I want to make sure everybody's on board with this. There's the bug out land that you own or rent. Or have permission to be on. That's one. Good option. You've got public lands. That's two. Or you've got the land that you're trespassing upon. That's three. There is no unowned land in the United States. All the land is owned by somebody already. Even, you might say, even... The land Kilauea is in Hawaii is paving a big, new, beautiful extension of the land. It's probably 150 feet bigger than it was before this eruption. But you know what? That new land state of is Hawaii already owns owned by the state of Hawaii. And it will be owned by the state of Hawaii because the state of Hawaii owns all the beaches. That's something a lot of people don't realize. That's why nobody builds on the beach in Hawaii. Not on the beach, because it's all state land. Hawaii is a bit of a... Uh, Control freak state. Yeah. And we're just going to leave it at that. We are not. We don't do politics here, but it's probably the only reason we're not already living in Hawaii is because there's a bunch of control freaks there. Um, so you may be able to go out on any given weekend now, hunt, fish... Get food. and uh, Assuming it's in season, <laughs> legally. If it's not in season, they call it poaching. But you could. If we have a really bad situation and the stuff hits the fan, poaching rules are not going to be the first problem that pops up. Or they're not going to be the first. Unless you choose option three, hunting on private land. Unless you choose option three. And then you're probably not going to be so worried about the game owner or the uh, game warden. Game warden. You're probably going to need to be more worried about the guy who knows where all the holes that your body will never be found in on his land. And if you think I'm joking, I assure you I am not. I know these are my people out here. And I know what will happen 
if the stuff hits the fan, people come out onto their land, their private property, the stuff that they own with pride. And they are counting on to feed their families with. Right. That's how they're feeding their children. If you think you're going to come out there and take their food out of the mouth of your children or their children, you are mistaken because they know the land better than you do. They know guns better than you do, most likely. And frankly, they're all neighbors. They know when you're coming. They see you drive past. They see you walk past. You don't have a chance. I want to get this out there because I I need people to understand if they're planning on bugging out, this is a real thing. Now, even if you do get out, this is the point too. So even if you do get out there, you're liable to be very shocked at the amount of game that is available. Why is that? Because it is highly controlled. Almost all of the game species are highly controlled by the state. Now, we're not getting into politics. We're not. This is not a political discussion. It's just a fact of how it is. Just a fact of how it is. And I'm going to use the state of Missouri. The state of Missouri is actually fairly uh, good about their wildlife management. It's one of the things that they actually do very well. Because they're not super intrusive, but they are... You know, pretty there. And they offer a lot of uh, help if you ask for it. They yes. are exceptionally helpful if if landowners ask for help in management. They have a lot of tools and assistance available. And, frankly, they are on the landowner side because they're the people who do the things that requires to have healthy wildlife. Yeah. So, but like, let's just take, what are the big the big populations of game animals, like in Missouri. We'll just take Missouri because it's a fairly good example. We have a lot of the big game. Uh, we don't have much elk. We It's being reintroduced in the state, but right now it's not there. We have deer. We have white-tailed deer. Lots of white-tailed deer. Big, well, fat well, deer. We say lots. Mm-hmm. You know, but lots is a relative thing. Lots is a lot until you start shooting them every week. Every, and then they become, you know, not a, very much in a hurry. It's a very regulated amount. They do a deer population uh, census. Now, census every year, they know how many deer are in all of these different counties, and they want to keep it at a certain level, and so they control the hunting permits that they allow to keep the deer population at a certain sustainable level. But let's be. Sh- clear about this that sustainable level is for the amount of deer that be contained in hunting over a two-week period because that's how long the serious gun season lasts here's a digression in case you ever see this well they're already cutting them here i knew they would be they're yeah they're making silage. silage i saw it yesterday if you're ever wa- driving through the country and you just see a row of or like four, six, eight, ten rows of corn, and everything else is cut. What's going on there is they, they've gone ahead and cut it for silage, and that's going to be a claim on uh, crop uh, insurance. Crop insurance for drought. It's been uh, so dry the, the crop ha- the corn crop is going to be nothing. So they're cutting right. it for silage to have something to feed the cattle through the winter. Our, yeah, they're our, not going to get a corn crop, and they leave up enough so the insurance adjuster can't do it. Can yeah, they have to leave up a an inspection. 
row. And you just pick a row and go because it really doesn't matter. Yeah. All these, this entire area we're in. It's going to be gonna, silage. Yeah, silage. We're not going to get a corn crop here. Which also means it's not going to be a great uh, deer year. That's right. The deer Because a lot of the really deer here are feed off of the corn. A lot of the farmers here, they just give up the last pass of the um, combine around the edge of the field. They know they're going to get squat out of that because the deer have been eaten from the edges all season long since it sure. started turning green. Yeah, and these, that's another thing, too. You know, these are the guys that have fed these stupid deer all year <laughs> long. These deer cost them a lot of, of money because they eat a lot of corn. And with the price of corn right now, you know, a bushel of corn is pretty, you know, last time I checked, it was about seven bucks. And that, that gets to be real money. Because these things, if you eat an acre of corn in a normal year, say 200 bushels, uh, what's 200 times seven? A lot of money. <laughs> so, the stupid deer, I mean the deer, are very <laughs> well regulated. Turkeys, not nearly as well regulated, but they're self-regulating. And they're we have a lot of predators. And actually, our predators are really at a high level right now. We're probably going to have a pretty good predator draw, uh, die-off in the next year or so as... The prey species are really struggling with the predation pressure. Yeah, and the drought we're having. It's they're really putting a lot of pressure on it. Yeah, but in this area where we are, when I first moved here in the eighties, we had lots of lots of turkey, lots of quail. We they introduced pheasants. It's actually uh, an Asian species. Yeah, it's the Korean pheasant, the ringneck. Beautiful birds. Um, because they were um, highly compatible and not a bird that had, they were a bird that could be, had natural predators here. The turkey's predators will do the pheasants. And they're a really nice game bird and, frankly, money because people pay money to hunt them. So there's that. A lot of this hunting thing it comes down to money, and I'll come back to that. So, without getting too far off course, highly regulated. And that's something people don't realize. They just, oh, I'll go out where the game is. The game is regulated and the numbers are sufficient for the hunting seasons that are currently in place by the pressure put on by the number of hunters who currently hunt. And this is a big, totally misunderstood, totally ignored fact by people who think they're going to come out in the country. You're not going to have things to kill. The number of tags are limited by the number of prey the conservation department knows you can take and remain sustainable. Okay. So, okay, maybe I won't. Maybe I won't be able to make my living hunting. So I'll fish for a living. Let's go with fishing. Right? Take fishing for me. Go for it. Fishing, if you want to take the occasional bluegill or bass out of the previously stocked Missouri farm pond, that, or lake, that is going to work. But most of these uh, lakes and ponds were stocked in the beginning, certainly ours was, with a certain number of species and certain types of species. Some of those can reproduce where they are and some can't. 
I was told when I stocked the catfish how often I should restock the catfish. Because while the catfish will be quite happy living in our little farm pond at the place, they won't actually reproduce there because the conditions they need to reproduce are not sufficient. Grass carp will not reproduce in all these lakes and ponds where they've been stocked. Not that they're a food fish, but they're a very important fish. They can be a food fish if you really need food. People yeah. don't eat them now because they're not tasty and they're full hungry. of loose little bones. you got to be Stalingrad hungry for <laughs> one of those things. Uh, it's not as bad as that. I've tried them. It's bad, but it's not as bad as Stalingrad. I, I, I would not eat the paste off the walls that was holding the um, wall coverings on first. But those species don't reproduce there at all. And you can fish out a pond of even the non-stocked species, the species that can reproduce in place, you can fish out a pond from those by overfishing it very quickly. Especially since if people get desperate for food, I tell you, phoning for fish is going to be right back out. Phoning for phoning fish. Phoning for fish. That's a nice digression for this one, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Why don't you, you want to tell them what phoning for fish uh, is? Back in the day when they first put out public, or first put out telephones, they weren't inherently connected to the power wire, you generated your own power to send your signal with the hand crank. She said her, she got the hand yeah, crank Yeah, I got going. my hand crank going. So those old, uh, old telephones with the little cranks on the side, that's what that was about. And so there are a lot of these old hand crank telephones, which are really manual uh, electricity generators that people had, well, it was inherent in the telephone. So... When the telephone technology changed, the uh, country people, let's put it in the politest possible terms. The billies. Come the on, billies. the billies. Decided billies. to go telephone up some fish. Works great. You take the old telephone box off the wall. Uh, no, I've only done it with a conservation agent who used an actual electrical shocker. <laughs> I've never used a telephone for it. I take the Fifth Amendment. I here. have never used dynamite for it. No, I've never done that. Uh, yeah, I've seen it done, <laughs> but I have never done it. Uh, at any rate, you take the old crank telephone, you dip the, tire, the wires in the water, you crank away on that sucker to electrify the water, it stuns the fish, they float up to the top, you suck them all up with a big net. You're Look done. at all the fish I caught! <laughs> You're done! <laughs> the ultimate prank call. That's telephoning fish. Dynamiting is when you take a percussive, like a one of those super big uh, firework firecrackers or straight-up dynamite, blow up one underwater in a pond. The actual explosion doesn't kill much, but the percussive wave kills or stuns. They float to the surface and you suck them up. Now, I would not be ridiculously mad if somebody telephoned fish in my pond, as long as they didn't like clean out my pond. But if somebody starts dropping dynamite in my pond, I'm going to have a problem with that. Because <laughs> that dam, it's stout. We built the world's stoutest dam. That we dam have, is not going anywhere. That dam, I don't, we, I don't. I'm guaranteeing you, that dam is so overbuilt. SEAL Team 6 could dynamite fish in our pond, and the dam would still be there. So You, you know okay. me, me and my dam thing, where I, I have this, this fear about... <laughs> 
you know, collapsing dam. Well, that dam is not going to collapse. I'm yeah. guaranteeing on that thing yeah, is not Yeah, we collected enough dirt for a much bigger dam further down, but we ran into some uh, yeah, we hit some rocks, glacial rock issues, and had to. We, that dam was even overbuilt for what I had in mind. <laughs> but we had to make the the pond ended up a little smaller than we wanted to because of the the foundation of the rocks. But it, it's fine. I mean, we wanted yeah. it oh well, probably about double the size it is. But it, it is what it is. We built the pond that the ground would allow us to build. Here's the thing, though. Yeah. Without following the fishing regulations that are currently in place and the hunting regulations are currently in place, before they had all those rules, deer were almost extinct in Missouri. Darn deer. Turkey, it was a blue moon when somebody actually managed to shoot a turkey because they were so rare. They weren't gone. But turkey are a little more wily than deer. Smart is not a word I'd use. But (laughs) (laughs) if you go trying to trying to shoot them, all of a sudden they look a lot smarter than they looked five minutes before. Would you you want one of those super duper uh, cinnamon rolls? No, just pass the place. No. Oh, there's this place and has this like plate sized cinnamon rolls. I got like eight thousand calories in them. They're really good though. I love cinnamon rolls. And Salty knows that, but he made me breakfast, so I'm good. Pressing right along. before we had the game regulations, you couldn't get very much meat at all off the land other than the tame species because they were hunted out and fished out. And that would happen even more quickly if you had a bunch of people who now live in cities and don't hunt and fish regularly. Trying And uh, small towns, a lot of the people in the small towns don't get much of their meat that way either. We don't. Um, everybody goes out and starts hitting up the natural resources, that's going to work really great for about a week, and that's going to be about the end of that. And that's the problem. So you can't really depend on that as a long-term lasting source. Who's going to still be able to get game food? The very sparse people wandering out in the very remote and unpopulated parts of the country. Yeah, people out there in Teddy Roosevelt National Park who are willing to hike over uh, 20 miles of up and down steep rocky hills on dry ground, those guys are still going to be getting a shot at their antelope. Oh, let me but tell that's you, if take. you don't know where that is, that is in the remotest parts of North Dakota. And when you're in the remotest parts of North Dakota, you're out there a little ways. North Dakota runs toward remote, guys. <laughs> and it's a remote part of it. Beautiful state, though, in the summer. Yeah. The but summer. you won't want to be out there in the winter. But yeah. still, it's it would be an awfully hard place to make a living because you got to cover so dang much ground to get something. And then, oh, yay, I've got 200 pounds of meat. Oh boo! I'm fifteen or twenty pounds from where my fa- or fifteen or twenty miles from where my family is. Don't know if you've ever tried to carry that much meat that far. I haven't. Right. But I've got two brain cells to rub together, and yeah, that's not working. So here's the thing: the deer that are in Missouri, there's actually like five different kinds of deer, and I'm not going to really go into the story. But five different kinds of deer in the in the Midwest, the Florida, Texas. They're different kinds of deer, and the reason that they the that the deer population is so different in the different areas is because when they were basically more or less hunted to extinction in these areas, they had to be reintroduced. 
and they were reintroduced from other areas. For example, the Texas deers came from Mexico. And although they do have very nice uh, racks and stuff like that, the deers are much smaller than they are here in Missouri. Yeah, to a Missourian, they look like ponies with deer racks, on, or not ponies, big dogs with deer racks on them. Yeah, but the deer here are actually Saskatchewan deer. They come down from Saskatchewan. That's not the breed, but that's where they come from. They brought in, because the Canadians were, I, well, I don't want to say they were any smarter than they were. They were a lot scarcer than we were. There just weren't enough They've Canadians. They've got a lot stuff. of open... Yeah. Un- barely inhabited land in Canada. Yeah, it really, you know, once you get past the first hundred miles next to the border, it gets real sparse up there. Beautiful place to visit in the summer. In the summer. <laughs> um, so anyway, so this is, the deer here were all reintroduced. And that in itself is part of what the problem is that we have because the genetics of the deer are not good. They're inbred. Inbred, yeah. Uh, and for deer, that matters some. That's one of the reasons we have so many problems with disease here with deer is uh, they don't have hybrid vigor. And first of all, let's stop here. This is kind of important to understand, not just for deer, but why it's important to bring in people into communities from the outside so you don't get all so you don't get all like deliverance you know what i'm saying and get totally inbred so what is hybrid vigor and turns it over to the biologist here we go (laughs) so everybody has two different genes for almost all their traits one inherited from their one copy inherited from their mother one copy inherited from their father if those two varieties are different, it's like having two different recipes for how to make lasagna, right? Uh, sometimes in the copying of genetic information from one cell to another, something goes wrong and you get a mutation. Some of those mutations are helpful, but mostly not. Most of them are harmful. So every now and then, somebody will have a copying error and they end up with a gene that no longer produces what that gene was supposed to produce. Well, if you just inherit one copy that's like that, you're usually okay. Because I got a good lasagna recipe from mom. I got a lasagna recipe from dad that's missing a page. It's all right. I can still make some lasagna. I'm good to go. Not exactly sure what it's going to come up like, but it'll still be lasagna. It might even actually be really good. It might even be better than maybe I should write this down. (laughs) Because it might be better. It might not be as good. So it probably won't get reproduced as much in the future. We probably won't make it that way again. Yep. Hybrid vigor is when you have a lot of genetic variability in a population because different subgroups of the population were bred to each other to create the offspring. The opposite of that is inbreeding. One member of... Oh, a lovely inbreeding story. Uh, When one member of the British royal family, one of their princesses, had a spontaneous mutation that broke a particular gene for a blood clotting protein. And since royalty of Europe would only marry other royalty of Europe, they were essentially marrying their own fairly close blood relatives. That one genetic mutation got spread around so much that... There were some, I believe it was eight crown princes over the next 50 years died of this genetic hemophilia from that one person having a mutation. If one person has a bad event, 
and you get both copies from the same family, it's easy to end up with two copies that are broken. Now you just don't know how to make lasagna at all, and you're kind of in trouble. As a slight digression, one of the weird, strange things that we can say about world history is that if that woman did not have, that ancestor woman did not have that strange little mutation, we would probably not have communism in this world. As strange as that sounds, and that's a completely different subject, but it's true, because the son of Tsar Nicholas of Russia would not have been a hemophiliac, which would not have brought around the Rasputin thing, which precipitated the yeah. yada, yada, yada. In this Escher it, effect a, moment. It really is. It's butterfly a, effect it's moment. It's a butterfly right? effect moment. That one thing led to communism in this world. I, it, you got a much stronger argument that it led to the downfall of the European monarchies because they had so many secession crises because it selectively affected male children. Sorry, guys, if you've got a Y chromosome, you've only got one X. And that means if you get a bad copy from mom for the genes that are on the X chromosome, you're out of luck. And, and that's, if you look at the outstanding monarchs in the late monarchy theme, who were they? They were Victoria, a woman. You look at the, the the important monarchs of Britain who were male, you got Kaiser Wilhelm, who was kind of a dud. He was just not much of a guy. You got Nicholas, kind of like his cousin, Kaiser Wilhelm. Most people don't realize the Tsar of Russia and the, the, uh, the uh, Kaiser of Germany who fought in World War II. They were first cousins, both grandchildren of Queen Victoria of England. This is how inbred this was. Well, we have the same thing here with our deer. And so the deer, um, and we also not only have this genetic thing, but we also have got a really strong selective pressure going on here, too, because hunters like really big racks. So we're having deer being bred. Now, most people don't realize this, but deer are being bred for these big, huge racks. Yeah. And the offspring are, you know, you... If you go onto somebody's land and you're hunting on their land and you're leasing their land, there's a very good chance you're going to have a rule that you cannot touch a deer unless his, a, a male deer unless his rack is at a certain level. You have to let the young ones go because they're trying to develop the really big trophy racks. Um, as my good friend who I've interviewed a couple of times now, uh, would say, you know, back he's a when professional we, hunter, right? Professional hunter. He's not fitter. Back when we were younger, we used to talk about, uh, like that's an eight point deer. It's a really nice deer. Uh, that was how we talk about, it. you know, well, Hey, I got an eight point and he had a really nice rack, right? I had a, I got a 10 point. It was really, bad. that's not how people do it today. The actual hunting subculture has changed to, well, what did it score? Well, what did it score? It's a, a complete re-emphasis on a specific type of rack and shape. Shape rack that or has antlers, done all kinds of weird of things yeah. to the deer population and the and the actually growing population. If you breed to emphasize those qualities, and they do, then you you can't have everything when you're breeding. You can't breed for every trait. They're not breeding for disease resistance. 
They're not breeding for vigor. They're not breeding for good immune systems. They're breeding for big rats. And they're not breeding for deer that make good eating. Yeah. That has nothing to do with it. Whereas a survivalist prepper type person, we think deer, we're not thinking what will it score. We're thinking how will it taste? How many pounds of meat can I get off of it? So this is a whole different thing. Most people don't know this. I would be going for a big fat buck myself if I, and I might if I start hunting the place. Okay, now that's that's one side of it. We know this is going to happen. That if the stuff hits the fan, and neither of us really expect this to happen, but we're going to try and be prepared for it. But yeah, we don't that's, really. That's one of the things the proper community yeah. is interested in preparing for. So right. yeah, and. But if you're going to plan for that, have realistic plans for right. that. I'm going to tell you the truth. The truth is these big animals, these deer, they're smart. They, they're, they're clever. They're smart. They're stupid as heck. But they're, they're, they're canny. They will not let you shoot them. Once the first day of deer season's over, you're going to have real trouble finding deer because they know how, oh, crud everybody's getting shot today i think i'll go hide they're not that dumb and you'll you'll never find them unless you know where you're hunting you will not find them unless you know exactly where they go i know where to find our deer yeah well see that's just it we're the landowners we know these things yeah we know these things you don't and if you're on public land, you're going to be competing against all these other people. So you're likely to get shot by one of them as you are to shoot a deer, to be honest with you. Now, the other side of this coin is, what is going to be available for your hungry family? What are you going to be able to find? Well, there's a lot of really, really big, Cornfields. stupid, tasty animals out there. They're called cows. And it's going to be a temptation. Deer are going to be really hard to find, but cows are all over the place. America has a long-standing tradition of shooting people for rustling cattle. That's what they I'm still, saying. Yeah, they, we, it's a really, it still happens out here, guys. People still, still rustle cattle and people still get shot over it. Yeah. It's going to start looking like a really good idea to start you know, feeding your family using somebody else's cattle. Well, let me tell you, that is a good way to have a very short Tiatwaki. It will not last long for you if you start doing that. And pigs, by the way, will fight back. And the people who own those pigs will yep. shoot you. So here's the thing. I don't necessarily have good answers for you, but it's not my job to have answers for you. It's your job to have answers for you. I think the probability of making your living by hiring out as a farmhand, because they're going to need a lot more hands to get these crops in, is a heck of a lot better than trying to live by hunting. You know, this is this is your what we're trying to do here is just point out that we have. Uh, observations and concerns about what we see people talking about and saying they believe. A lot of people are, you know, who are preppers just don't, I'm not saying this is you, but a lot of people don't understand. They just don't get 
the fact that they're not coming out here to the country and going to live off the land. It's not going to happen without you having a previous arrangement or plan or something. So I don't know what you're going to do, but you need to figure out what you're going to do. I know what we're going to do. We've got ours covered one way or the other. And it's one reason we emphasize so strongly the ability to produce your own food because agriculture has always produced the most food per effort since the end of the last ice age. That's been the most efficient food production method humans have come up with. And this is one of the reasons we all were talking about things like mutual assistance groups or good, strong neighborhoods. Because you're gonna, you just can't do it alone. There's, you can't do it alone. You can't guard your garden 24-7. You know? You can't guard your house 24-7. You can't do it. There's not enough people. You're going to need to get together and work with other people. The lone wolf thing just... Unless you are Bear Gryllis, and I'm talking about the actual, what he supposedly stands for, not the guy, because I think he's a... He puts his name on Yeah, he just puts his name on cheap Chinese-made crap. (laughs) Uh, But, except, you know, unless you're really these guys, unless you're out there eating pine cones daily, you're not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I'm not this guy. I couldn't do it. I'd be dead. I couldn't either, and I've got some food-finding and production skills, but I have no illusion that they would allow me to survive long-term if I wasn't cultivating some things. Because I know how much effort goes into collecting those calories. So, yeah. So the takeaway I want to give everybody is the, the, the game that is out there in the, in the ponds, in the lakes, in the out here, is either stocked or regulated to a level of pressure that is far, far, far lower than what would happen Most if the stuff hits the fan. Large bodies of water near big populations of people are continuously stocked to make them fun to fish in. Yes. And it's paid for by your fishing licenses. That's what that's, that's what why pays they for. charge them. Yeah. yeah. What they, yeah. And I, I'm not opposed. Well, I don't want to get into the political side of it, but... I'm not opposed to publicly stocked lakes. Okay? But you need to know that's what they are. Exactly. You need to know that those fish don't just show up there. Yes, there is some reproduction. But the pressure is much, much, much higher than what could be naturally sustained. We live in an area with one of the biggest fisheries in this part of the country. And so we're very familiar. I know the guy who, who owns it really well. And they stock ponds and lakes, municipal lakes, uh, Department of Conservation lakes. They stock ponds and lakes all across the Midwest. And every day you'll see their trucks rolling out of there filled with fish going to some lake or other to stock it every day. Some of these lakes are stocked multiple times a year. If that stocks or stops, or if the pressure on that lake increases, that fishing's going to get real tight, my friends, real tight. 
just want you to know that's what's going to happen. I expect if we do end up living off the place, that fish pond is going to be the occasional fish to to add some some nice protein and enjoy a nice fish fry. It's not going to be where we're getting most of our daily calories. And we don't fish it now. We absolutely do not fish it. She fished it once just to see what would happen on a throwback basis, just to see if you could catch anything. And th- those fish are stupid. They don't know. Yeah. They, they bit. I made three casts. I caught three fish. I saw what I needed to see. And the fish went back. So, you know, there we are. Um, Be real. But that's a larder to us. That is our larder. Our food on the fin. And we know how to not overfish it. By, and that's gonna, that's by us, we, that means just not fishing it at all. Because we don't want to. But we also do things to increase the amount of fish that can be grown. And they're like putting in more cover. we got to do more of that this year. we got to put in some this fall. Yeah. More cover. I put in a little bit more this year while you were Right. I've got a couple working. ideas, and we'll talk about those. Um, I got a, actually, I've got a friend who wants to give me a, a couple of old metal. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Okay. We'll, we'll let you go. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you the next time.